0: Welcome to the Commune podcast. My name is Jeff Krasno. This week on the podcast, we bring you another great course from the Commune library. As you may know, in addition to being a podcast, Commune is also a video course platform featuring a wide range of programs from top teachers on personal growth, yoga, meditation, spirituality, functional medicine, nutrition, and social impact. Essentially everything that you need to be holistically well. This week, we will be releasing the first five parts of David Kessler's course, Help for the Hurting Heart. David Kessler is the world's foremost expert on grief and loss. And when David was young, he witnessed a mass shooting while his mother lay dying in a nearby hospital. These simultaneously occurring events propelled him toward what has become his life's purpose, helping people manage, recover, and even find meaning in their grief. He facilitates talks, workshops, and retreats for those experiencing loss, as well as training physicians, nurses, counselors, police, and first responders about end of life and trauma. Over the next five days, we will be releasing the first five parts of David's series. If you want to watch the full video version of the course, which includes 10 core lessons, plus Q&As, yoga practices for grief, and downloadable worksheets, well, I encourage you to go to onecommune.com and sign up for a free trial of Commune membership. That's o-n-e-commune.com slash help. There you can sign up for 14 days of free all access to Commune's entire course library, including the full-length version of Help for the Hurting Heart. We will always email you before your free trial is up, but if you continue on to become a Commune member, well, thank you. Our members are the key reason we are able to create and share free content like this. And If you regularly listen to this podcast, I also ask that you subscribe on Apple podcasts or Spotify or your favorite podcatcher, tap, follow show and leave us a review. It really makes a huge difference. And now here's day three where David lets you know that it's natural to feel powerless after a loss or trauma. It's simply part of the process. Tune in for parts four and five later this week.
1: I'd like to take a few minutes to talk about finding your power. It might be, you might go, why are we talking about that? in a grief series or a trauma series. So first of all, it's not unusual to feel like you've lost your power after a loss, after a trauma. And you may actually, the trauma might have been something where you were temporarily powerless. And we want to understand that we can now, After the events, find our power again. So if you feel powerless in grief, just know you're not crazy. It's part of the process. It's a part, actually, of the healing. We feel like we've lost our power after a loved one dies, after someone hits us with a divorce or a betrayal or a breakup. Even the word bereaved comes from an old Latin word that means to be robbed. You have been robbed of your loved one, your marriage, your power. It shakes up our world. It's like our anchor is gone. You know, it's, it's almost like yesterday, I knew what the rest of my life was going to look like. Now that this loss has occurred, I'm in uncharted territory. Someone died. I'm in a whole new role, a whole new world. Someone's divorcing me, betraying me. It's now a whole new situation that you find yourself in. And so easy to feel that you have lost your power. So when I think about that loss of power, I think about three steps to take towards healing. The first one is to feel your feelings. You have to allow them to live. As I mentioned, you can't heal what you don't feel. And in our self-help world, it's a a byproduct that was never intended, is that without realizing it, we have a lot of judgment on our feelings. We feel angry, oh, but I shouldn't feel angry, or I feel sad, but I, I, I should feel this. And we sort of, push all our feelings down because they're not the ones we think we should have. So you end up with all these half felt feelings. So first thing you got to do is just feel your feelings. As you feel your feelings, your old wounds are going to come up and you're going to think this is bad. I can't believe this is happening. Your old wounds are coming up for healing. And It's going to help you know that there's these wounds in the past that are going to cover and hinder your current loss or trauma. And it's important we be able to identify them. So first is feel your feelings. Second is when those old wounds come up, allow them. Then the third thing is you're going to have a new awareness of your distorted thinking that came from those old wounds. We all have distorted thinking. I remember years ago, it was interesting to me because, well, I'll I'll just tell you, I, I, I was surprised at something. And I said, I never thought of that. And the person said to me, of course you didn't. Your mother died at a young age. And I was like, oh, I can't believe they related those two. There is, I see the world A little more cynical, perhaps, than it is because of the loss I had so early in my life. So these these thoughts, the distorted thinking comes up, and now you can have awareness. So the three things, feel your feelings, allow the old wounds to come up, and then pay attention to those old ways of thinking, the distorted thoughts that may not serve you. How do we lose our power? Well, we lose our power because we give it to others, or we focus on how others are doing, our codependency, or we believe that person that left is the source of our happiness. We've outsourced our happiness to other people. Maybe we label ourselves as not enough or as a victim. We project into the future. I'm gonna have 40 more years of unhappiness. I project my feelings out. We compare. Oh my goodness, look at social media now. If you compare your life to social media, you'll often come up short. I can remember a picture I saw my friend and her family. It was a family gathering, and they were all sitting around the dinner table. And I mean, I just thought, oh my gosh, What an amazing life she has in this big family and just how great it looks over at her house. And I said to her, wow, I was looking at that picture and you all look so happy. And she goes, 10 tries it took to get that picture. By the way, Fred left after that picture. And then there was a whole argument. You know, what we see on social media isn't the reality of anyone's lives, but it's easy to compare. And then we then have unrealistic expectations on ourselves and on our own grieving. We have unrealistic expectations of others. Other people should understand what I'm going through. Do they? They kind of miss the mark a lot of the time, right? So when we talk about finding our power again, one of the things that I think about are how archetypes can help us. An archetype is something that continues to appear in the universe and the nature. In nature, it's like an archetype, right? So here's an archetype around being present, being centered, being self-oriented, is this one. You've all heard them. You could probably come up with 50 others I haven't even thought of. You've all heard, stay in your own lane. Play on your side of the tennis court, tend your own garden, right? There's this archetype of being present. Do your own knitting. Sweep in front of your front door. Eat off your own plate. In 12-step, they talk about take your own inventory. Byron Katie talks about it as, you know, being in your own business. Row your own boat. My favorite is dance in your own hula hoop. The reason why I love that is it's such a great visual because you can't dance in anyone else's hula hoop, right? So the archetype is being present. And there's three types. You've heard these in so many different sects in so many different ways. Your lane, the other person's lane, God's lane, or the universe's lane, right? So this idea, tend your own garden. Wait, wait, you're in your neighbor's garden. Wait, you're in someone else's inventory in 12-step. You're taking someone else's inventory. You're trying to dance in someone else's hula hoop. So the reality is when we're in our own lane, we will be more centered. We will usually be happier. When we're in the other person's lane or God's or the universe's lane, we will be unhappier, less centered. So, how does this play out in grief? You can only attend your own grief. You can't do anyone else's grief work. You can't jump in their body and do their grief work for them. You can give them a book, you can suggest something, but you can't make someone read a book. You can give them time to read the book, you can give them the book, but you can't really make someone take something in. They don't want to. So think about how this would help us around loss. A number of things come up for me. At one of my lectures, you know, there's a book table with the books. It's interesting to me. There's a a woman came up to the book table and she was in the workshop. She says, oh my gosh, I have to get your book. I need the newest book for my friend at work. She needs this book so, so bad. I really wanted her to come. She really needs this. Will you make this out to my friend at work? I said, yes, I'm happy to. She goes, I'm taking so many notes for her. It's really important that she gets this and I said oh okay by the way why isn't your friend here today oh she had to work but it was interesting she had to work but then she decided to take a mental health day off but she didn't come here so I'm just doing all this for her and I said to her you're at a grief workshop have you had any losses in your life and she says, well yeah and I said big losses and she goes well yeah and I went Are you getting a book for you? And she goes, oh, yeah, I I might get one. I might just read hers or I'll, I'll, I'll see. And I said, you know, just be aware. You're actually doing the grief work and taking the notes. She goes, yeah, I'm taking them for her. You're doing all this for someone who actually did have a day off and decided this was not where she wanted to spend her day off or what would be most helpful in her grief, and you're still doing grief work for her. The problem is, if you're doing someone else's grief work, it's a nice thing to try to do. Number one, you can't. Number two, you're not attending your own grief. You've abandoned your own grief. So just think about that. Your only job is to attend your grief. Like, how does this work in job loss? If someone's stuck in the other person's business, I shouldn't have been fired. They should not have fired me. As much as that might be true, as long as in your grief, you stay stuck in that, it takes you nowhere. It doesn't serve you. But if you can go, wait a minute, What's my lane? What's my car to drive? What's my tennis court? Oh, my job is to grieve the loss of my job, get a new resume together and start making calls. Do you see how once you get into your part, it becomes so so much more powerful. So think of that concept. Of you find your power when you're present for someone else, right? There's so many situations I could think of where we care so much about the other people in pain or their reaction to our pain, we are leaving our grief behind. So remember, your grief work is yours. Their grief work is theirs. Give them the dignity of their own grief work. That's where your power is in yours. Now, the one place people will say when I talk about these concepts, David, this doesn't work if you have kids. I am a parent. Actually, it does work if you have children. You cannot do your children's grief work. You can give them information on grief. You can bring them to a grief group, whether they do their grief work, you don't have control over. But what you have complete power over is modeling doing grief work. As a parent or as anyone dealing with grief, we have two jobs, grieffully and livefully. That's our work. That's what our children need to see. If there's a loss in the family, We're grieving fully and living fully. But parents are like, wait a minute, you can't tell me. I I, I can't control my kids. I've got to make them do their grief work. Their being in grief makes us as parents uncomfortable. Let's just admit it. We would rather get them out of pain as if we could so that we feel better. Just that's what a loving parent does. You don't want your kids to be in pain And it makes you in pain and no one wants to be in pain. So I get this. I'll give you an example from my own world. I mentioned my younger son died. A few years later, my older son probably was 22, 23 at the time. I'm giving a lecture in Los Angeles. Probably it's like about 300 people are coming. And he says to me, Hey, can my girlfriend and I come to your lecture? And I went, oh yeah, of course, I'll put your names on. I said it just like that, I'll put your names on the list, no big deal. That's who I was on the outside. Who was I on the inside? I was like, yes, oh, thank goodness, he's coming to a lecture. I can finally tell him everything I need to know about grief. In fact, I'm gonna customize this lecture just for him because he needs it so bad. That's what I really felt like as a parent. Then I had to go, All right, don't lose your power. What do I need to do? I need to design this lecture for the people who are coming. Would Be unfair to do it for my son. Give the lecture you had slated to do. So I'm giving the lecture, he and his girlfriend are way in back, so he's not up front, I didn't see him, but I knew they were there. I give the lecture, after the lecture, after people have chatted with me, he and his girlfriend comes up and he says to me, that was a good lecture, and I said, thanks. And he said, you know when you did the questions and answers at the end? And I said, yeah. And he said, I had a question, but I didn't know since I'm your son if I could have asked it publicly. I said, oh yeah, you could actually have asked that question publicly. But by the way, I'm your dad who happens to be a grief specialist any old time. You could ask me right now. And he goes, thanks. I'll wait till the next lecture. I'm like, what? Inside, I'm, what? Are you kidding? Ask me now. It's making me uncomfortable that you've got a question about grief. And I happen to be a grief specialist, and I actually know the loss you're pertaining to, right? On the outside, what did I do? I had to go, great. I look forward to your question. I had to give him the dignity of asking his question in his own time, in his own way, and to realize I might not be his source. Probably aren't his source. He's going to get that question answered from me at a later time or someone else. So think about, you know, our goal is to remember with more love than pain in our own way, in our own time. And we don't wanna give up power in that process, right? In a divorce, it's different. It's about finding peace and finding your life again. In a divorce, I see so many people who lose their power because their soulmate left them with someone else and is now living with someone else and now has a kid with someone else. And I'm like, your soulmate isn't the person who leaves you. Your soulmate is the person who stays. So think about those concepts of how we give this power away to the soulmate that cheated on us and left. Really? Think that through, how we give our power. The other way we give our power away is we say, you don't understand. My situation is different or horrible. And your situation is very unique and your loss is unique and you still can find power no matter what. People will say things like, I will never be able to heal because what happened to me is so different. And I'll go, I will never be able to heal because what happened to me is so different is a negative affirmation. Please don't keep repeating that to yourself. I will never be able to heal. That's a negative affirmation. We give our power away. And this is true about everyone. Everyone's illness is unique. Everyone's loss is unique. Divorces are so unique. You know, but people go, well, you, you don't get it. He texted me about the divorce. Or I caught them in our bed or I saw them die, whatever it was, it was a death by suicide. I, I saw them doing it, or whatever you came upon. Remember, I come out of a shooting as a child. I get how horrific things are you may have seen. And in no way am I invalidating how horrific they are. But do not give them power. Many of you may have heard me. I do, you know, when I do sessions with people, so many times I have like a session that I'm like, I wish people could have heard this. And sometimes they do get to hear it. One session that I did was um, with Kim Goldman. Kim Goldman's brother was murdered, Ronald Goldman, right? And uh, I did, she made our session part of her podcast, Confronting OJ. And even in a horrific murder, The murderer does not deserve your power. They've taken so much away. You know, even when people go, you don't get the cruelty, David. I get it. I'm never going to get the cruelty of what happened. But do not let that cruelty rob you of your power of healing. Rob you of your power to honor them. Rob you of your power to make a life after loss. No matter how horrific or messed up your past was. You don't have to give it power to ruin your future or your present. You have to fully grieve, but that's not a handing over power. People will say, but I'm never going to forget. I get that. I am never going to forget my son who died. It's always going to be a wound that I have. But you know what? It's not a traumatic wound anymore. It's a cherished wound. That's now my cherished wound. When we bring our power back, we have the ability to hold our wounds in a different way. People sometimes lose their power around why. I need to know why. I'm a big believer. Try to find out why. Put your detective hat on. Ask the questions. Why did they cheat? Why did they leave? Why did they die? Why did the treatment fail? Can I see the autopsy report, the coroner's report? Absolutely. You get to ask all the questions. Don't let anyone stop you from doing that. And at a certain time, the questions have been asked. And there may be no answers. And you have to make peace with no answers. Or You may get answers, but I'll tell you what I have never heard in all my decades of work. No one's ever gone, oh, now I know why they died. Such a satisfying answer. Now I know why they cheated. Such a satisfying answer. You will never find a satisfying why. Even if you learn answers, you will never find the why. So your power is not in getting an answer. Your power is in you and maybe living with the open question. Stay in your lane. How and what they think of your grief is none of your business. How they're grieving is also none of your business. Their reaction to your grief, not your business. Stay in your lane. Even if they've left you out of the funeral, People tell me horrific things that dysfunctional families do. You get to create a ritual of your own, anytime, anyplace. Don't give other people the power of your life or the healing of your grief. You have the power to grieve in your way even if people don't like it, in a way that's right for you. No one else is in charge of that. And keep in mind, we live in a world with different types of grieving. There's very feeling-centered grievers. There's very thinking-centered grievers. And there's also what I call practical grievers. That's who you'll have the most trouble with. Let me tell you about the practical griever in your life. You probably have one. We have an illusion that our best friends, our families, are going to be the people who get our grief the most. And we are so disappointed they don't get our grief. And many times they don't because they're practical grievers. So let me tell you about the practical griever in your world. They're the person that tells you to move on. They're the ones that tells you all these feelings of yours are a waste of time. They don't usually go to therapy. You've been trying to probably get them to therapy for years and they don't go to therapy. They think it's a waste of time. They're like, you want me to pay someone to listen to me? I've got friends for that and they don't charge. Right? So that's our practical grieving friends. You know, if you told one of your practical grieving friends or family member, you're doing this workshop, They would go, you're doing a workshop on grief here. I'll give you a workshop on grief. Here's your workshop. Someone dies. You go to the funeral, you cry, boom, you're done. You're moving on. There's your grief workshop. Someone's (laughs) divorce. Wash your hands, move on, meet someone new. There's your workshop. That's what they would say. They don't travel in the world of feelings, right? Now, the problem is, when we see our loved ones who are practical grievers, we look at them and go, my sister must have not loved mom. Or how could my husband not have loved our child? How can this be? I thought they loved them. We equate practical grievers with how much you loved. And it's just a different style of grieving. In my own life, I have a good friend, godmother of my children, who's a practical griever, an accountant. Oh my goodness, if you've got a practical griever in your life, many times they're type A people, they're great for organizing things, so wonderful to have in a lot of ways. But I said to her a while back, after Father's Day, I said, Father's Day was hard. And she goes, oh, why was your Father's Day hard? Did your son do something that upset you? And I went, no, he was great. Father's Day was hard because my other child died, remember? And she goes, oh, yeah, so that's why it was hard for you. I'm like, I have to explain that concept, but I have to tell you what I know about her. She loves me deeply. She loves and loved my son who died deeply. But she is very practical. Practical grievers do things practically. There's nothing wrong with them. It's a different way of grieving. By the way, if you learn to sort of use them for what they're good for, it's it's very helpful because they're going to help you plan things. But it's very different. I can remember two brothers that their sister had died and it's interesting. One brother said, I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. Here's what I'm doing around our sister's death. What are you doing? And the other brother said, I'm grieving our sister. That's what I'm doing, right? One was the practical griever. One was the feeling griever. Now think about it. If a practical griever tells you to move on, you don't like that, but often We want our practical griever friends and family members to be like us, too. We'll say to them, you know, why aren't you feeling more? Why aren't you crying more? And a lot of times they'll say things like, I would cry more if it would bring them back, but it's not bringing them back. We don't want them to tell us to cry less. We can't tell them to cry more either. Also, keep in mind, our friends show up in different ways. When we get this and have our expectations in alignment, we will feel more powerful. Our friends show up different ways, different times. I'll give you an example. When someone dies, there's the people who show up in those first 24 hours. They so know how to be present for the deep pain. They're managing the calls. They're sitting with you. They know how to sit in that. Then there's the people who may come and help you plan the funeral and they're there in that first week. And that's what they're good at. And then in the second week, you notice the people who were there in the first 24 hours are, not, are now gone. And then you're there with the people in the second and third week. And you notice your friends that you play tennis with, they came to the funeral, but they're not really around. Or your friends that you would go to the theater with or the movies with. They're not around. And then later on, at a month, someone shows up and they're like, hey, you know, I've been worried about you. You wanna go out to lunch. And then there's the people later on who, you know, help you sort of get back into life. Here's the thing. We lose our power when we look at them and go, where were you in the first 24 hours? What happened to you? You were there in the beginning and then you disappeared wait a minute, you're going to show up and want to have lunch like in three weeks when you haven't been around except for the funeral? I want you to think about this. All our friends play different parts. It's like different musical notes and they make up this long orchestra of support. The people who are your friends that are going to show up at a month that want to go out and just chat about life and have lunch, Thank goodness you have them, you don't, you couldn't stay in that deep place that you were in the first 24 hours, nor would you want the people who are your lunch-oriented friends to be there in the first 24 hours. Everyone plays a different note, or you can make them wrong for why aren't they there for the other notes, right? So we have to allow everyone to support us and be how they are. The good news when you look at the healing of your grief, the healing after your trauma, and where that power is, the good news is it's in you. It is not other dependent. No one else has the healing. You might feel like death stole your power. You might feel like your husband or wife who betrayed you stole your power. You may feel like the person who's divorcing you, or your boss that fired you, or the corporation stole your power. What do you think they stole? A happy life? Future possibilities? They stole your love, your career, your security, your identity, your love? Did they steal the possibility of 40 more years? If they did, why let them take more? So as we think about Our power being stolen. Our homework is to really think about and maybe do a list. What do you feel was stolen from you? Possibility of that good life. Future happiness. Marital bliss. Trust. Harmony. List. Make yourself a good long list of everything that was stolen. Don't filter yourself, make that list. Then, after you've made the list, do it, just let it flow. Don't judge whether it's real or not. Then I want you to go back and rewrite those things. I now have the power to reclaim my happiness. I have the power to reclaim the next 40 years. We can't change the loss or the event, but we have the power to change everything that happens after the loss. And if someone took something from you, it's time to get it back. It may not be what it was like before, but you can still have some version of it. Okay. thanks.
0: Thank you for listening to this excerpt from David Kessler's course, Help for the Hurting Heart. If you want to watch all 10 days of this course, plus access downloadable worksheets and yoga flows for processing grief, go to onecommune.com help and sign up for a free trial of Commune membership. That's onecommune.com help. There you can sign up for 14 days of free all access to Commune's entire course library, including the full length version of Help for the Hurting Heart. Feel free to email me with any suggestions and criticism, preferably of the constructive variety at jeffk at onecommune.com. Okay. That's all from the Commune for today. My name is Jeff Krasnow and I am here for you.